Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and uh, welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. I'm James Pete, and today we're talking to Sam Worthington-Lees, Project Director of the Hawker Typhoon Preservation Group. To start with, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're here to talk about. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'm here to talk about the Typhoon that we're rebuilding, Hawker Typhoon uh, RB396. Um, I've been involved in the project since the start and we've had a couple of sort of fairly major milestones recently, so now seemed a good time to, to have a chat about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of our readers, or most of our readers, should be aware of the project anyway, but how did you get involved and how did it come about in the first place? Uh, so my involvement was through my grandfather. Um, he flew the typhoon during the war after the Spitfire and the hurricane, and uh, I was researching what happened to him when I left the Air Force in 2012, got made redundant. So I was researching him and I found out the history about the aircraft he was flying, the specific one, and uh, ended up coming across some parts from that aircraft that had been recovered and were being offered for sale. And that interaction with the person who had those parts led my path to cross with a UK collector who had quite a large collection of Typhoon parts for the intention of rebuilding a cockpit section to travel around to shows and schools and sort of educate the public on the role that the Typhoon carried out. So he and I got to talking. He had a lot of parts on this rear fuselage section from RB396, this identity, but he didn't really know or have any idea of how to get it from a collection of parts to an airworthy aeroplane. And I didn't either. We just both knew that it would cost a hell of a lot of money. So we sort of decided to raise that money. And uh, that started about five or six years ago. The charity was formed in 2016. And uh, we just passed the million pounds mark, raised or pledged. And uh, we've got approximately another four to go. And uh, the rebuild has started. You know, it's underway. The aircraft restoration company and airframe assemblies both getting involved. And uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, the charity, the project is is making it happen. There, there's going to be a typhoon flying again. Exactly when we don't know, but as soon as we can raise that money, then it should be in the air. So it was literally just an organic process of an interest in what your grandfather had done during the war that kind of went from there. Yeah, um, that, that that's for sort of my specific reason for getting involved in the project initially or, or actually setting it up and since then it's kind of developed you know I found out more about the typhoon the people that flew them maintained them designed them built them tested them delivered them you know some female ata pilots some really interesting stories of, of them and it has grown away from my specific interest in my grandfather to you know the, the project and the charity exists to honour the memorial, honour the memory of, of the crews. So not just the pilots, you know, ground crew and people that designed and built it as well. And we just think that the best way to do that is through an actual flying aircraft rather than a, you know, a more standard memorial, you know, made, made of stone as nice as that would be. And we will probably do one as well at a location, but this flying aircraft is, is the best way to remember those guys and girls, that we, we think anyway. And it's quite a rare aircraft. I mean, obviously, people like you, me, and the readership at large, I mean, they know of the Typhoon, but I think the majority of the British public probably is a forgotten type. Yeah. it's. Um, I think if you were to take a straw poll from anyone on the street or even anyone at an air show, you know, with just a passing interest in aviation, said, name a Second World War aeroplane, they'd say Spitfire, Hurricane, Lancaster, P-51 Mustang, 
B17, maybe, Mosquito, maybe, and that's probably pushing the limit of most people's knowledge, certainly of Allied aircraft. Though Typhoon rarely features on that list, you know. People that know about it tend to have a reason to know about it. Maybe they've got a family link or, you know, they've just got some other specific interest in it and that aircraft, they might have read a particular book or, you know, built the airfix kit that I did, you know, when, when I was a youngster, they, the airfix kit was quite a common one with a typhoon on the front. A lot of people built that and a lot of people have come up to us and said, oh, I remember building that airfix kit when I was a kid. But yeah, it's, it's largely forgotten. So are the stories of the people that flew it and operated it. And the reason for us doing this project is to unforget it, I suppose, you know, to bring it back into people's awareness. I mean, have you found any sort of difficulty in finding sort of the specialists or any of the sort of the specs that you need for this sort of thing? Because as you say, it's, it's not the most common of aircraft. So I'd imagine it's harder to come by. No, it's not common aircraft at all, but there is actually quite a lot of surviving parts out there. The identity for this project is the rear fuselage from RB396, the, the sort of rear monocoque. That's nearly finished on the Isle of Wight with airframe assemblies being rebuilt to airworthy. And they've actually reused 80% of their original structure from there. So it's really, really authentic. Instead of making bits from new, which would have been easier and cheaper, they've uh, certainly on, on the stringers, they've spliced in new sections of stringer and maintained the, the sort of remaining sections. The same with the frames. You know, we've got a complete cockpit and a half, a complete engine, um, which was factory inhibited. So that will undergo a full strip down, rebuild, overhaul and assessment of every single part. We've got propeller hubs, about four sets of undercarriage, a tail section, elevators, ailerons, sections of wing and spar. So there's a lot out there that we have and that we're still looking for. And there are recoveries that are ongoing as well in the UK and the continent that have kind of been slowed down by a good old COVID. But um, the raw materials are there. Um, we've got a large amount of the drawings, not a complete set, but a large amount, certainly enough to to get us the majority of the way there. And then what is missing from the drawings can be filled in from parts or, you know, that you can fill in those gaps. And that's one of the reasons why we engaged the aircraft restoration company at the back end of 2018. They specialize in doing this sort of thing. They can rebuild an airplane where large sections are missing. The materials might not be in production anymore. The, the manufacturing techniques might not exist anymore. And they, they really specialize in that unique stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that's why we engage them to do the work. People often think that we're doing the work ourselves, you know, a group of, they think, oh, you're a group of old men in a shed knocking a bit of metal around. And in 25 years, you might have a typhoon that looks something like a typhoon. And that's really not the case. You know, our team is really down dedicated to the fundraising, raising the money to engage the professionals to do the work because it's a one-off or almost certainly a one-off, almost certainly unique when it's finished. It didn't make financial sense for us, a group of volunteers that don't necessarily have the right qualifications to then try and establish an organisation with all the correct certification and tooling and knowledge required to do a one-off like this where something just, it just does not exist. It made much more sense to get the professionals to do that and we do the work raising the money. Arguably, raising the money is possibly the hardest job, more so than the engineering. Well, especially during a global pandemic when you can't get out and raise awareness. I mean, how was that sort of impacted on your sort of, on your time frame? Well, it, uh, at the beginning of last year, actually just before the pandemic really hit, we'd been around for four years at that point. And we thought at the start 
naively, because but we'd never done this before. We go out to some air shows, we produce some merchandise. The general public will just be falling over themselves to give us all their money and buy T-shirts and that sort of thing. And we'll raise five million over five or six years. Easy. That's not actually the case. It's not easy at all. That, that wasn't all we did, but we, we were out at shows, we were going to events, you know, trying to push merchandise, get donations and that sort of thing. And even getting out in the magazines, newspapers, really focusing on social media. We've got a following of about 55,000 on, on social media. And we thought, you know, with an audience of that size, if everyone gave us two quid a month, we'd be home and dry. But it doesn't really work like that. Some people are super keen and they will support from two quid a month to considerably more. But that kind of strength in numbers wasn't quite working. It wasn't working enough, you know, to progress the build at the rate it needed to be done, to get it done in anything like a reasonable time frame. So at the beginning of 2020, we were looking at how we can actually change our approach a little bit and try and track down larger donations and contributions, you know, in the tens or hundreds of thousands rather than a few pounds off a lot of people. And uh, we actually decided before the pandemic came along that we were going to just not go to air shows for at least a season or a couple of seasons, stop doing little events, stop putting on new new merchandise and use that time to focus on trying to find people that we felt would be interested in supporting at a higher level. So then the pandemic came along and it kind of made that decision for us anyway, because we couldn't have gone to a single air show last year and there's only been a handful this year. So it's not the perfect decision at the perfect time, but it was made for us anyway. We would have had to take that same decision whether we made it or not. And actually, that approach has been really, really good. Actually ridden out the sort of COVID storm quite well. And uh, in the last year, last year and a bit, made about double the amount of money that we made in the same period before. So actually during the pandemic, because we've tried to focus on people that have really got a strong family link to the typhoon, you know, pilots or ground crew or otherwise, and that really want to support at a slightly higher level. We introduced a new supporter scheme. We used to have an annual or a lifetime basis, 25 quid or 250 quid, basically. And we introduced a platinum scheme, which is a much higher amount, 4,000 pounds, but over the next four to six years. And the uptake of that has been really, really, really strong. And when you get a few of those added together, that really starts making a big difference. And then, you know, coupled with the fact that the rear fuselage work has been ongoing, so the physical rebuild has started. And then we were, we were sort of coming towards that first million pound mark. And we sort of kind of realized we were, well, we, we obviously knew we were getting close. We knew how much money was coming in, but we were getting really close towards the end of May within kind of touching distance of a little appeal that we put out to our supporters. And then, yeah, in one day, the supporters turned around and raised about 20 grand in contributions. And that took us over the million pounds raised or pledged. You know, some of them have said, yeah, I can do the platinum. I'm doing it over the next four years. So we know that money is coming in then, you know, and, and that all counts. And uh, and then hot on the heels of that was the move to the aircraft restoration company with the, the cockpit, the engine and the major outstanding sections for them to start the preparations to work on that. So the pandemic actually, for us, in terms of a charity and what we've managed to achieve has, has been, I mean, it's not been good. It's not been good for anyone, but it hasn't affected us actually as negatively as we perhaps thought, which is great. What did you say? It gave you a chance to sort of uh, regroup and come back stronger. Yeah, it did. And um, some people on the team lost their jobs. They found new jobs. 
a lot of us have been furloughed. You know, I, I'm a commercial airline pilot. I've been furloughed for the last nearly 18 months. So I've actually had a lot of time. And so are some of the other guys on the team. I've actually had a lot of time to put into it because we're all doing this in our spare time. You know, we're all volunteers on this. So we only have a limited amount of time. But then when you don't have to go to work, you suddenly have a bit more time. So we've actually been able to capitalize on that. And uh, the progress in terms of money raised, uh, there's been a few team changes in the last year or so. Some people have left, some people have come. And the people that have come in are absolutely really helping it to really motor forward, which is what it needed. It's had a couple of years of almost stagnating, you know, going to air shows, trying to get that support and that support not coming at the levels that we needed. People have supported, don't get me wrong, it's just not coming quite at the levels that have been needed. So we've needed that refocus to switch our attention to things that are going to basically high yield things. And uh, so then we can take that money and we can do things like accelerate the rear fuselage to give your listeners an idea of how much these things cost. Obviously, we're looking at about 5 million overall, but a rear fuselage, we first thought it would cost about a quarter of a million, so about 250,000. That was the original estimate because it is only an estimate. Then there were some bits on it that weren't suitable that had to be remade. That required material, tooling, the jig that we had access to actually wasn't any use. They had to recreate a jig, a few other bits, and it's ended up costing more like 350000 And when the pandemic started, or just before, it was over the sort of Christmas 1920, you know, we, we weren't rolling in cash, we never are. And uh, we actually had to slow the rebuild down from £10,000 a month to £5,000 a month, just keep it ticking along. And then actually when the pandemic came along, we hadn't yet made those refocused changes. And uh, we paused it for a few months, about three or four months. So there was zero being spent on the rebuild. But since we've made these these changes, we've come along, we've had a few donations at the higher levels, some more interested people and the, the people on the team really driving it forward. We're now spending £30,000 a month. So even when it first started, it was £10,000 a month on the rear fuselage, which is a lot of money in anyone's book. But now we're spending thirty as a result of you know the changes that we've made over the last 18 months or so. And then when that spend is finished at the airframe assemblies on the Isle of Wight, that equivalent spend can start with the aircraft restoration company. As it is, we're now putting £10,000 a month towards the aircraft restoration company. So it's £40,000 a month coming out, which is a huge amount of money. You know, it's nearly £500,000 a year. It's, it's monumental. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive amount of money, isn't it? But when you think about what that goes on, yeah, it soon goes, isn't it, on a restoration? And you say you can't skimp on it because it's, it's going to be an airworthy aircraft. Yeah. Uh, not only is it going to be an airworthy aircraft, it's going to be a pretty much unique airworthy aircraft, certainly in this country, you know, and first of a kind for since the war. So there's no production line set up. You know, as nice as Spitfires are, and, and they are, don't get me wrong, I love the Spitfire. This is the production line for a Spitfire almost exists already. You can go and say, I need that frame, I need that rib, and you, you almost pull them off the shelf. Uh, but this is not the same for the Typhoon. Every bit, if you need to remake it, you're starting from scratch. You often need to build the tooling, go and get the material specs. Whereas for an established warboat, that already exists. Yeah, I mean, I was reading through your blog earlier, and even just little things like some of the bolts are hawker-specific to that aircraft. It's like finding things like that is just going to slow you down every step of the way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, we, we sort of knew that at the beginning, but you kind of don't think of all the things that are going to slow you down. You know, you've just got that end goal in sight. The big finished goal is we'll have a typhoon and she'll be flying. You know, that's the memorial. We've done it. Brilliant. Well done. Tea and medals all around. But then, obviously, you then you delve into it and like you say you then need this particular bolt 
and then you find that you need a tool to make that particular bolt and then the material that the bolt is, is made of doesn't exist anymore and, and you just go down this little rabbit hole of and you just think, bloody hell, it's just a bolt <laughs> at the end of the day. But, and it, it causes you a real big headache. Um, but that's where the money goes. And, and the vast majority of the funds actually is on labor, you know, because this is just skilled labor, like supremely skilled labor, what these guys are doing. You know, the guys that use the metal rollers, that just blows my mind every time I see it being done. And it's, it's fascinating to watch. And that skilled labor costs money, and rightly so. You know, they've spent a lifetime honing their craft. You know, it's, it's about £60 an hour, which is, again, there's a lot of money in anyone's book, particularly when you add that up, you know, for a team of guys and girls working day in, day out. You know, they're basically working as fast as we can throw the money at them to get this aircraft finished, yeah. I have to say, £60 an hour, I had a Porsche, and I, I know that sometimes you get you end up spending more than that just going to a garage. Well, yeah, so, so you know, it's a lot of money, but it's also perhaps not in the grand scheme of things, but it does add up, and it's, it's probably... I don't know the exact figure, but probably three quarters, if not more, of every invoice is, is labour because the material is, is not particularly expensive. It's the labour. Yeah, as you say, labour and expertise. Mm. And at the end of it, you've got, as you say, you've got a unique memorial to the chaps and the women who, who worked on these and flew them. And that's the purpose, yeah. You know, the typhoon is an unsung hero, forgotten legend, you know, whatever you want to call it. It did an awesome amount in the Second World War, but because it wasn't in the Battle of Britain or the Dambusters raid. <laughs> Most people don't, don't know about it. And, and the Battle of Britain, you know, was fought in the skies above Britain, obviously. But the typhoon sort of really made its name in an offensive sort of technique and manner, you know, over on the continent, France, Germany, Belgium, Holland, etc. You know, that close air support, ground attack in the lead up to and the follow on from D-Day. So unless you were allied forces on the ground you didn't really see the typhoon in action if you were british but the french and the belgian and the dutch they absolutely love the typhoon because they saw it for them it was their battle of britain if you like it was going on in the skies above them so they saw what it did firsthand uh, and the troops on the ground you know after the invasion in normandy they were just singing its praises you know the, the, the germans could not move during the day in good weather because the typhoons would, would just have them. And, uh, and it was Eisenhower that credited the typhoon with, with the eventual breakout from Normandy. And it's just, it's a little bit wrong that we've forgotten that from the history. It's in some history books, you know, there's a typhoon in the RAF Museum, but it's not remembered the way it should be. And, and it's not just about the aircraft. In fact, it's more about the stories of the people that flew it and operated it. You know, the ground crew that landed on D-Day plus two or three or four you know, and we're camping in, in foxholes in Normandy, getting shelled at night and then getting typhoons in the air during the day. You know, and some of them lost their lives as well. 666 typhoon pilots that we know about were killed flying the typhoon. And there is actually no memorial to all of them anywhere in the world. Not even a, you know, a little plaque somewhere. There is a, a very nice memorial in Normandy, um, but it's to the pilots and ground crew, I think, that, that were killed in the Normandy campaign. So it's not to all of them. And, you know, not to us is what this aircraft is, is going to be. And we think that'll be a, a nice and fitting memorial to what they did. And we're lucky that there are still just a handful of these guys around. Two have died in the last month that we know of. Um, and there, there aren't many more than that still around. There's a chap called Bernard Gardner, who's a real keen supporter of ours. 
If you've been on our website in the news section or on our YouTube, you will have seen that we flew him in a Spitfire last year as we announced Paul Bonham as a project ambassador because he flew the Hurricane and the Typhoon during the Second World War, but never the Spitfire. And he, and he sort of always wanted to. And we built this platform, you know, we had the supporters there and we just thought it was right to sort of say thank you to Bernard for everything he did flying a Typhoon by getting him a flight in the Spitfire with our new project ambassador, say Paul Bonham from, from Duxford, you know, the aircraft restoration company, the guys that we're doing the rebuild with. And it just all came together really nicely. But there's not many of them around and uh, we need to get on with it because maybe, just maybe, there might be one or two of them still around by the time we can get this aircraft flying. Incredibly, although he's in quite poor health, but uh, a pilot that flew the actual aircraft that we're rebuilding, he only flew it once, but he did fly it towards the end of its flying career and towards the end of the war. He actually flew this ferry aircraft on the 28th of March and it got shot down on the 1st of April. So he is still around, he's in poor health, but he's still here and you know, it's incredible, Sydney Russell Smith. And he likes to keep up to date with with what we're doing, his, his son is quite keen on, on keeping him up to date as well. And, uh, you know, there's lot of things like that that are really important because we don't want those people to be forgotten, you know, if, if they're not with us anymore. We don't want their memories to be forgotten. Or if they are still here, we don't want them to feel that they're forgotten. So that, that's kind of, that's why we're doing it. Well, as you say, it's, it's a it's a living, breathing memorial, isn't it? The RB396. Yeah. And hopefully as well, that once it's out there and people see it, it will maybe make people go away and look further into their family history and also into the, the history of the typhoon itself. Yeah, uh, we would hope so. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen when the aircraft's finished. Obviously, it's going to fly. We don't know exactly where it's going to be based, what the plan is when it does fly. You know, we might do tours of America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand in, in the long run, you know, because they, they played a large part in it as well. But one thing we do really want to do in this country, once the aircraft is established, you know, we've had those couple of years of bedding in and getting used to how it operates, is take it around the UK and do two months based here, two months based there, you know, up in Scotland, down in Devon, Cornwall, somewhere, you know, in, in sort of Yorkshire, Lincolnshire, go and live at a, an airfield for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and allow people that might not travel 10 hours to get down to Duxford the chance to see it. And, you know, and just educate people on, on that aircraft and, what it did and what the people who operated it did. And how can people get involved now? I mean, what can people do to help the project as it stands at the moment? So the number one thing is go to our website. It's typhoon.com. Dead easy to remember. And we've launched these new supporter packages. So it starts from £25. And we've actually got a new one coming online very soon, which is just £2 a month. And right the way up to basically as much as you want to spend and everything in between. And, you know, if enough people get behind those and make a financial contribution, no matter how small, then our work is much easier because we can get that money. So we're all volunteers. It goes straight on the rebuild effort and get it done because the unfortunate fact, and it took me a long time to just get used to it straight up asking people for money, is this rebuild costs a fortune. Any rebuild costs a fortune. We haven't got any large single, you know, financial backers, big corporate sponsors, anything like that. What we just need is people to visit our website. If they like what they see, get involved by, you know, signing up to one of those supporter packages. It's bronze, silver, gold, platinum is, is the one I mentioned earlier, and diamond for the really high levels. You know, there's people that are really able to get behind it in a big way. Uh, and each supporter package comes with its own benefits. They obviously get more and more, the higher levels of contribution. But aside from that, if you really can't afford a couple of quid a month, it's, you know, it's spread the word. 
perhaps just telling your friends and family because one of them might come and buy a t-shirt or sign up to the support packages. Get on social media, you know, share our content, engage positively with the content, spread the word, get it out there to someone else. And the bigger the audience gets, the bigger the percentage of people from that audience that then go and get involved gets. And therefore, the more money that comes in, which is ultimately what we are about, a fundraising organization to raise the money to rebuild the aircraft so that it can serve as that memorial to the crew. So yeah, number one thing is head over to our website, head onto the support us page and, and support if you can in, in any way you can. And we'd be really grateful. Even just giving it one pint of beer a month would help get this project across the finishing line. Well, that's what it is. You know, as, as I said earlier, we, we've got about 55,000 followers on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now, some of those will be the same people, you know, following on all three platforms and, and you know what it's like. You click like on a page and then you never see it again. But in a numbers way, if every one of those people gave £2 a month, you know, that'd be, what, £110,000 a month. You know, that's £1.2-ish million pounds a year, plus gift aid if you're a UK taxpayer. That takes it up to about one5 You know, that makes the 4-ish million that, that's left really, really manageable. You know, the, the readership of Flypass, for example, I don't know the figures off the top of my head, but it's got to be tens of thousands. You know, a couple of quid, like you say, that's not even a beer. It's not even a whole beer. It's a half a beer. If that, if you're lucky, if you're in London, it's like a thimble of beer. And it's one of those things that this will happen, but it will take a hell of a lot longer if fewer people are involved. If everyone that thinks, you know what, I'd really like to see a typhoon in the air one day, even just because I think it would be cool. And if, if that person and every person that thought that put a couple of quid in the pot, then it really would make a massive difference. And then, you know, it takes a couple of people to come along and go, you know what, family, company, you know, we, we've got the means, we have a family connection, I want to put 10,000, 100,000, a million towards this, then that's what just gives it the real boost. And we're actively reaching out to people trying to work on that. But the strength in numbers approach, everyone getting behind this, even just a small amount, can work if everybody does it. It won't work if only 10 people do it, of course. <laughs> It'll take, it'll take a very long time. But, uh, you know, we're all working on this in our spare time, putting in a huge, huge, huge amount of effort. We all believe in it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. You know, the core team is about 15 people. There's about another 10 or 15 that, that do a bit of sort of volunteer work ad hoc. You know, that core team is about 10 or 15, putting in a lot of work, all for, for nothing. You know, no pay, covering, you know, reasonable expenses every now and again, but no pay. Very little public thanks, to be honest. You know, I'm sure when the aircraft is finished, everyone will be queuing up to say thanks and well done. But actually, the work of getting there is it's very difficult. Yeah, so if people are interested, just head to the website, walkertyphoon.com, and, uh, and, and see what you think. You know, read the news articles, see what we're putting out there, check on the progress. There's a few progress reports on the news page. There'll be a new one going up around about the first week of August. Those people that are supporters of ours, you know, the paid-up supporters, I'm preparing a news report for them, which will go out in the next couple of weeks, uh, featuring the latest from Airframe Assembly, some really, really nice engineering stuff. One of the benefits of being a supporter is you, you get all that information first, and then it drip feeds onto the website you know, a couple of weeks later. So that, that's one of the main benefits. You, know, you, you get involved financially at whatever level, even just the, the, the two pounds a month that we're going to be introducing in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be called the Sabre Club. You get that progress and the news before anyone else. Now, most people might not think that's a big deal, but, you know, to someone who's, who's paid their money, even if just a little bit, it's nice to get that information first. You know, I get it from a couple of organisations that I'm a part of and, and it, it keeps you in the loop. You have input. We have a supporters days 
down at our base. We used to do two a year, obviously COVID came along, and this year we're hoping to do October uh, for the supporters and come along, see what's going on, organise visits to airframe assemblies, uh, the aircraft restoration company when when that work starts, you know, proper when they start bending metal on it. Uh, and that, that's not really something you can do. You, you can't phone up the aircraft restoration company and say, can I come and have a tour? Because the answer is no. They've got our rebuild there and we will be organising tours of our rebuild. And of course, you'll see everything else that's going on as a benefit of being a supporter of the project. You know, the prime benefit of being a supporter is you're supporting the project. You know, that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when the typhoon flies, you can look at it and say, yeah, you know what? I had a part of that. Might only have been two quid a month, but I played a part in it. We can't say any further than that. I think it's an incredibly worthy course, and we're going to look forward to following the, the progress and eventually the, the final across the finish line in, in the air again. So I think that's a perfect place to leave it. So thanks very much, Sam, and uh, hopefully speak to you again another time. Thanks very much. You're welcome. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.